You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hello. Are you looking for a new job? Are you in the market for a new career? It depends what it is. What are you selling me? Well, I'm proposing you try out for the Orgasm Advisory Board for Love Honey. I'm I'm intrigued. Tell me more. So they're looking to hire a diverse group of 10 sex toy testers from all experience levels. So from somebody who has all the sex toys, which is pretty much you, to somebody who's brand new and everything and everybody in between. So they're looking to improve basically the quality and inclusivity of their products over at Love Honey. And that's really why why I'm here today. I'm here in Toronto because there's an event in Toronto. They're going on the road, basically. They're taking this not antique road show on the road to 16 different cities where we're going to be recruiting sex toy testers and doing a bunch of games and giveaways and stuff on the street as well. But hold on. It's a real job? It's a job. I don't want to mess up the details, but it pays $1,000 for the year. And every month you get around, okay, around $250 of sex toys that you test out and you provide feedback. I would 100% apply for this job. Are you going to? Can I put in a Hold on, you get paid to touch yourself and they're going to send you toys to help you touch yourself. That's exactly, that's it. Get paid for pleasure. They were in New York, I think, over the weekend, this past weekend. And this weekend, they're heading to Austin, Texas. They're heading to Toronto, Ontario, which is where I'm going to be. They're also going to be in Denver, Colorado, San Francisco, uh, Phoenix, and then next weekend, they're in Philadelphia. I'm kind of mad that I won't be there. I wish I could be in Philadelphia. And next weekend, they'll also be in Chicago and Montreal and Las Vegas and Seattle and Atlanta and Miami and Houston. And then they're heading to Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I think, you know, the reason they picked these markets has to do with the way people are purchasing sex toys. And I think that Wyoming one was uh, at the bottom of the list in terms of per capita sex toy investments. So they need people to step up their game. In, in what city again? Cheyenne, Wyoming. Cheyenne. There you go. If you're there, message me. I'm going to get you a toy. Yeah. (laughs) Anyhow, if you are in Toronto this weekend, come on down. I'm going to be Saturday afternoon somewhere near the Sky Dome. And we're going to be, there's going to be a whole recruitment team there. I'm not a part of the recruitment team. I'm there, you know, helping with any interviews or any questions that people have. And there's games and there are probably going to be free vibrators if you participate. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Sign me up. Well, there are only nine spots left because Brandon just took one. I just I think it's a conflict of interest. I don't think you'll get in. I I, did. I think I bring an element of expertise given how much I have touched myself (laughs) and how many toys I have. Well, what about my mom? Because we were trying to convince my mom at dinner last night. That was a segue. That was a segue. That she should she should apply. I feel like if my mom applies, she's gonna get in. I feel like your mom couldn't probably fill out the form she'd be too she'd be giggling she she would be giggling well it was so funny because i brought it up casually at the table and then she started like whispering about it to her poor partner yeah because you've never heard my mom whisper in 21 years i'm like oh it must be serious yeah yeah either there's something (laughs) tragic or she wants those free sex toys oh my god i'm gonna be in trouble all right no edits mom no edits sorry (laughs) anyhow today we are we're talking about pleasure and we're talking about real life sex confessions. So we're going to be talking with Carly Pfeiffer, who is a writer. She has a history of exploring more taboo topics. So sex, sobriety, abortion, abusive relationships, and real 
erotica. So she also has a vanilla writing career. So she, you know, worked in digital content and creative for Perrier, for Burrow, for Blake Lively, Mm. Gossip Girl. And now she's taken her writing and marketing experience and she has launched this more exciting and erotic digital magazine all about sex positivity aurora. So going back, would you have a story that you could add to this? Do you have anything that's that good of a story? Are you joking? Well, no, no, no. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? I can think of some stuff, okay. But before, like just thinking about... What, before you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for real? Some, some it didn't crazy, all start. <laughs> fun stories, yeah. There's lots of stories. I, I feel like... Mine suck. From before me. Yes. Thank God I'm here. <laughs> Thank God I arrived so that you like had some one stories time you could sell. I did it. To yourself. <laughs> I did it, missionary. And then we spun around and it was over. It was done. (laughs) Yes, it was finished. Well, these stories are a lot better than yours. So let's welcome Carly. Carly, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing today? So good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Now, are you spending all day with your head in other people's fantasies? Yes, that is basically what I do. I read about sex all day long. And actually, when I first started, I was working from home and I had to get out of the house and go to a cafe because otherwise you're reading erotica. It's like very easy to get distracted. I'm sure you can imagine. I can imagine. You know, I am kind of studying sex all day long, but I don't think that my job is as exciting as yours because ultimately you're reading real stories, right? Sometimes I'm digging through data and then scientists, of course, love to make things sound sciencey. Right. So there's all these like terms. And when I go and try and figure out what they are, I'm like, oh, that's just an orgasm. Why can't we just call it an orgasm? But you're dealing with the real raw stuff. First and foremost, I'm curious, what inspired you to start Aurora? Well, it was so many things. But um, one story is that I was traveling through Europe. I had just been laid off from a job and I decided this time I'm going to go just travel because I was working as a writer in New York City. So work was always up and down. In order to keep myself kind of focused, I decided that I would go on Tinder dates through all the cities I was in, but I would interview the people about sex and dating relationships in their culture. And what ended up happening after you trade all of these intimacies with somebody is a lot of those dates ended in sex. And I wanted to tell both parts of that story. I wanted to tell the experiences of learning about what mattered to these people and and also tell the beautiful moments that I shared with them. And I felt that there was nowhere that I could really pitch these stories to. Like a lot of women's magazines, I feel that they focus a lot on like, you know, the mechanics of sex or kind of talking about like the bad parts of dating. And I wanted somewhere to celebrate the intimacy and the beautiful parts of sex while also, you know, acknowledging and having it be relatable because they're real stories. And because we all know that not all sex is good sex and there's a lot of bad things that come with it. So yeah, like a lot of people that start their own thing, it was that I didn't I couldn't find anything to fill this gap in the market. And once I started it, it became clear that a lot of other people agreed that there wasn't something like this and that 
they wanted to tell their stories. So it's been a few years now. We have over 200 stories by as many writers. So a lot of people submit and obviously not all stories get published. I'm very um, strict with my curation because I do feel that when you're trying to find good like literary porn or good porn in general, sifting through this stuff is so much work and can really take you out of the mood. So I like to be really careful with my curation so that every story on the site is a good one. And how do you decide which stories you pick and which ones go go to publication? Is it a matter of the content? Is it the way they're written? Do you have to help, I presume, with some of the editing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do work one-on-one with writers still. It's my favorite part because I think the process of writing these stories is a really, it can be therapeutic. It can be emotional. I do have some people, you know, in the middle of writing who have to excuse themselves because the relationship has changed that they're writing about and it, it becomes too um, emotional to do it. But really the first question I ask when reading something is like, does it make me feel something? And that can be sometimes a discomfort, like this is weird and I don't know if I like it, but I am kind of feeling something about it. And the other thing is, is it about more than just sex? If it's just about sex, like there's not really uh, what's the motivation. I really want to start to care about the people that we're talking about. And I ask writers sometimes, like, why should we care about these people having sex? Like, why do we want to be there for their sex? Because this is such an intimate thing to witness that, you know, even if the characters aren't likable, you still have to share enough of them so that by the time they do get to the sexy parts, you're like, really invested and you can really put yourself in the action. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious if you sift through all of these stories and fantasies, what have you learned about fantasies and what people are into and sex more generally? Yeah. So I think a lot of the stories that people submit are about those moments where they finally make a fantasy a reality because they, you know, choose a story that's really impactful and memorable for them to write out. And one story in particular that I think is really interesting is a story where a woman goes into a a chat group, a forum on the internet full of these guys, strangers, and the, the chat room is called Degrade and Abuse. And so she goes into this chat room, Degrade and Abuse, and all these guys are telling her what to do. Um, you know, they're calling her slut and humiliating her. And she writes about how she's mourned on than she ever has been in her life, even though, you know, in her real life, she's She works a high-powered job, you know, she's a feminist. And so the story really explores, like, why do I like this? I like this so much, but I feel so weird about it. And um, one thing we do on our Instagram is every week with the story, we open up the conversation and ask questions to our community that connect to the story. And that, that week I asked, like, what is your darkest fantasy? What's a fantasy that you would never actually fulfill. And I was amazed at the fact that people trusted me with these secrets, you know, their fantasies. But really what I learned there is just that people have fantasies that go against a lot of the norms of society. And in fact, a lot of people have fantasies about things that are, as women, our biggest fears. And I think that fantasizing is a really powerful 
tool to heal trauma, to explore your dark desires and be more comfortable with yourself and your sexuality. And I think it's, you know, it's just really interesting that people are so excited to share those fantasies. They want a platform to kind of confess, but there's also a lot of shame attached to these fantasies. And I hope that a space like Aurora can help people feel that their fantasies aren't weird or shameful and like there's a place for them. If they're not hurting anyone and they're consensual, then why not, you know? Absolutely. And so much of what you said resonates with me. And, you know, some of the topics that we covered, we cover, we see that people often desire sexual experiences that are at odds with our day-to-day personalities for many reasons, for, you know, working through trauma, absolutely. Also just as an escape from the mundane of the everyday for people who are in long-term relationships, for people who are, you know, quite comfortable with sex, in fact, but they just want something that feels outside the box. And when we think about, for example, the one that you're illustrating here around subjugation and degradation, the profile that you're describing of somebody who is tasked with a great deal of power, who does have a lot of responsibility, the opportunity to take a breath, let an exhale, and just let somebody else take over, whether that be through degradation or simply through submission, is such a common experience. And I think for so many people, I think especially for for women, for mothers, there's this, this sense of release we feel when somebody else just makes the smallest decision for us. You know, when I have the opportunity for somebody else to just pick a restaurant, pick a dish, choose the time of the meeting, choose the platform, choose anything for me, I feel this massive sense of relief. And sex is an extension of that. And of course, a little bit more exciting than just picking a meal, depending on the meal and depending on the sex, of course. So this is such an important piece. And when you talk about shame and secrecy and how you can help to alleviate some of that, it really makes sense to me because pen to paper, fingertips to keyboard, just that mere process, I'm sure, can be so freeing. When we hold something in secret, that shame intensifies. And the minute we let it out, not only are you normalizing it for everybody around you, but you're receiving the positive feedback to know that, hey, other people are actually into this stuff. And that kind of leads me to my next question. And I think we've talked about it a little bit in, in an untoward way. But why do you think people are so curious about what other people are doing? Why are we such natural and almost universal voyeurs? Yeah, I think we all want to know if we're good in bed. We all want to know if other people are doing something that we don't know about yet. I think like we all have seen pornography and a lot of people do kind of imitate or learn from that. But I think with these stories, you're learning not only the mechanics, but you're also learning the seduction and the process of getting intimate with somebody and I think yeah it allows us to be like okay we're normal or okay maybe I have some things I can try out this sounds interesting to me I have this story I like to tell about my partner who we started dating right when I launched Aurora and one night we were hooking up and he was doing some stuff and I was like this is new and then I was like oh my God, he is literally doing this week's story on me. (laughs) So you really can learn from what other people are doing. And, you know, when it's something written, you're not also comparing your body. You're not seeing these visuals that it's like, 
oh, this is what other people look like when they're having sex. You're just getting the details and you get to create that visual. And I think that's super powerful, especially for women that struggle with body image issues. I mean, who doesn't? But just getting that instruction and intel on how people are having sex without having to see people actually having sex, I think is really, really cool and helpful, honestly. I mean, I think that these types of stories would be such an amazing sex education. Like I wish I had these when I was younger personally. Absolutely. And I see it as a tool for couples to communicate and talk about what they're into, what they're not into. And I often suggest that pop culture ought to be a part of all marital and sex therapy programs where you simply watch a show, watch a movie, watch a scene and dissect it. With whom did you empathize? Whose perspective really makes sense to you? How would you respond if I spoke or acted that way? What appealed to you? What do you find off-putting? It is so much easier to talk about a fictional or third-party interaction or coupling or scenario than it is to talk about exactly what I want right here, right now. So if I can talk about how I really enjoyed the way he approached her or I didn't like the way she physically touched her in the scene, I don't have to say, hey, it's not what I, I don't like what you're doing. And I'm not even saying it's exactly for me, but I'm saying this is my reaction to this scene in this moment, and it can feel a lot safer and far less intimidating. So I think this is a really amazing tool for people to start exploring. Now, I know you've provided us with a story to share, which I think is really, really cool. It's a little bit different because it's the audio version. And one of the appeals, I think, of literary porn or the written word is, as you said, you can insert yourself in. And this is kind of the Fifty Shades effect, but much, much better because they're real stories and um, hopefully with a broader vocabulary <laughs> and literary value, I'm sure. Um, I think so. <laughs> although there's value in everything because Fifty Shades also spawns some very important conversations. For folks who are going to listen to the story for the first time and head on over to check out the content on Aurora, where do you suggest they begin? That's a good question. So we do have categories. I try to, you know, really label stuff because I know for some people things like affairs or cheating can be triggering. So I want to really like get people to get to the right place. So you can browse by category. We actually do have an audio section. Um, the audio isn't reading of stories, but it is a guided pleasure. And so these are all guided pleasure, like how to touch yourself. They're written by women, but some are performed by men. So you get that women's perspective on the touching, but you get like on one of them, we have an edging series. That's like this really sexy, deep voice. So that's one I'm really proud of personally. And then we also launched a solo pleasure series where people tell exactly how they touch themselves. And this was another kind of amazing confession aspect that we did on our Instagram. People were so excited to share these things. So I think jumping around to the audio and also reading the stories and kind of see what works for you. I think sometimes reading a story and then listening to an audio. So you're like getting yourself in the mood, but then you have actual instructions on how to sell pleasure. That's kind of my favorite way to use this site. Hmm. When you bring up the confession side, that's the second time you brought it up, but it just kind of made me think about the eroticization of programming or rituals that are also so heavily laden in shame. 
there must be something very therapeutic about that for so many people. I love that you offer both the literary side as well as the audio side and encourage people to go check it out. So thank you so much for sharing your perspective, for bringing this to the world. And now we're going to go ahead and let folks have a little listen as a sample to what they might find on your site. You're listening to Aurora Erotica, The Slut Show by Ivy Jones. Show your manners and present your body for the men to see, slut. The man I know only as Dean has added me to a chat group of random men who know each other only from the internet. The group is called Degrade and Abuse, and that's what we're all here for. Until I ask to leave the group, they can tell me to do anything they want. Up until a minute ago, I would have described myself as curious, nervous, and incredulous that I was doing such a stupid thing. Now, I'm suddenly more turned on than I've been in my entire life. My hands shake as I unbutton my jeans. I get on my knees, snap a photo of my naked body from the neck down, and hit send. Usually, I take five nudes and send the best one, but Dean has specified in-app photos, and the app doesn't save them if you don't send them, and the chat is already filling up with messages demanding to see me. The photo shows the tattoo over my left breast, a no-no for sharing photos with strangers like this. I hope that I can keep my face out of future pictures. There is so much technology out there to connect my professional self to my nudes, or even create nudes from scratch using deepfake technology. But if I'm being honest with myself, the risk is part of what is making my pussy so wet it threatens to leave a puddle on the floor. With some difficulty, because photographing your own butt is hard, I comply with their next request, to turn around and let's see the whore from behind. Welp, there's my other tattoo. Good thing practically everyone I know has this black linework botanical bullshit on their shoulders. And I really don't know what to do with the request to spread your ass for me. I don't have three hands and the camera doesn't have a timer. I decide to go for a short video instead. I'm so wet my hands slip. Thank God they let me lie down next and show them my finger slipping in and out of my glistening folds. Much easier to photograph for one and less danger of showing recognizable parts of my body. Plus, I might pass out from horniness if I have to remain standing and not touching myself. The quick escalation to seeing the most private parts of me makes me throb even harder with a potent hormonal cocktail of eroticized fear. We're less than ten minutes in, and I'm already showing them my pussy. Where else is this going to go? I could see myself falling down this rabbit hole big time, chasing the intensity going more and more extreme to recreate the feeling of this first time. Beg us to abuse and degrade you. Oh good, words, my favorite. I've gotten good with using words to drive my long-distance lover wild these last few months. Maybe, if I beg good enough, I can stroke my aching pussy in peace for a few minutes. But no, the anonymous men demand to hear my voice begging on video. It's not that I don't want to, but it scares me. So much of my kink since the pandemic has been conducted through text. Using my voice forces me to inhabit my body, not just my head. It makes it more intimate, more real, and it forces a decision about whether I want to put a character spin on it. 
Do I try to sound sensual like a porn star? Scared like a submissive? Is my normal voice sexy enough? The weird thing is that in a context like this, it doesn't really matter if I am sexy enough. The entire point of this exercise is to shatter my ego into oblivion. They won't say nice things about me because that's not what any of us is looking for from this space. I won't be enough for them, and there will be a stream of sluts before me and after me who also won't be enough for them, and how we look or sound won't matter. And yet, if they're truly not turned on by the experience of having me totally in their control because my thighs are too jiggly or something, how sad for them. And that doesn't affect the experience I'm having at all. It's weirdly freeing. I speak the script in my normal voice and don't listen back to the video. One person leaves the chat. I find myself intensely curious about him. Is he in the middle of a date and doesn't want the notifications of anonymous genitalia blowing up his phone? Is he feeling uncomfortable with his participation in non-stop intense objectification? Will he be back? Who are the men in my anonymous audience? Maybe they are like me, feminists with a perverted side they want to explore safely. Maybe they are genuinely bad dudes who feel entitled to treat any woman this way, not just the ones who are into it. They could be rapists, white supremacists, people I would never want to erotically relate to in real life. My worry is not so much for my own safety, but that by saying yes to the promise of men's complete control over women, of me, I have helped set a dangerous precedent for the next woman. Erotic imaginations are powerful. I've felt the pull in my own body towards ever fewer limits. I could well imagine someone who has access to a stream of women saying yes to his every whim, missing the distinction of consent, and getting addicted. What kind of responsibility would I hold were that to happen? And would I ever know? I think about the latest in a long lineage of white male mass murderers who blamed his violent choices on women's sexual availability to him, or lack thereof. These men are radicalized by the communities they find on the internet, just a search term away from where I found this chat room. There was no vetting for me to join. All I had to do was be willing to take my clothes off. I'd assume there was just as little vetting for the men. I can't dwell on my second thoughts, because the instructions are coming fast and furious in the chat. They want a toy in my ass. Let's see the biggest one you got. Here, I depart from their instructions for the first time. They don't know my toy collection. I can't actually take my biggest butt toy, especially not warmed up, which is why I recently purchased a smaller one. I insert that one, and they are perfectly happy, as am I, since it actually feels good. I ask permission to come, knowing it will be denied this early in the game, but that it will probably turn them on even more to think of having that extra control over me. Now that they know I have a well-stocked toy drawer, they want more and more toys, rope around my breasts and my neck, nipple clamps. Neck rope that I've tied myself is within my kink boundaries, and I know that it will be a visual thrill while being relatively safe. It takes a while to re-engage my brain enough to remember how to tie a simple breast harness. The texts pile up unanswered. If I needed a reminder that I'm still actually 100% in charge of this scenario, this is it. They can call me a disobedient bitch all they want, but I'm not going to compromise my aesthetic or safety standards. I send a photo with my hand on the neck rope as though it is choking me, though it's actually holding it in place. They immediately want more. The commands overlap, such that there is no way to do it all. Sometimes three men are asking for the same thing, their horny minds in tandem. A video of me sucking on a dildo. Sometimes the men are asking for different things, 
which gives me some choice of what to do first, what to ignore. Someone said nipple clamps, and that sounds more fun for me than sucking on a dildo. This isn't a democracy. Since putting them on takes both hands, I give myself a break from sending pics and don't send them any process shots. Just the final result. Just the knowledge that so many horny strangers are waiting for me is keeping me aroused nearly at my breaking point. The actual reality of interacting with them, I can take or leave. I capture video of twisting the clothespins nearly 360 degrees. It looks painful, but the sensation is processed immediately into pleasure by my spinning brain. I've reached the point where I can't stall any longer on giving them the dildo blowjob they're clamoring for. They want me to take the silicone cock all the way down my throat. I'm not excited about the prospect. I will push my throat when sucking cock because I know it's extra good for the cock owner, but to just fuck up my own throat for the sake of a photo seems like a waste, and it's going to be hard to avoid showing my face. And yet, there's that thrill again of having given up my right to choose or control the situation. I get curious about how far I can push it. I whine about the dildo feeling too good in my pussy, and Dean chimes in telling me to be a good girl and obey. I hate how much I love that. And honestly, it's probably hotter for them to know that they are pushing my limits. I end up trying to swallow the dildo and gagging theatrically, and they don't push it further. I blame my strong gag reflex on the fact that my husband has an average-sized cock, and they go wild, as I suspected they would. Now they want me to suck his cock on video. He's in the next room playing video games and would not be into this at all. He lets me play with others because he's pretty vanilla, but wants to make sure I'm sexually fulfilled. I tell them he's out and that I have to have dinner waiting when he gets home. It's a Saturday, but they lap up the 1950s housewife vibe all the same. Why am I into this? I ask myself that over and over again, and the words that come to mind are, put me in my place. As a feminist, it's an uncomfortable phrase. In my vanilla life, I'm trying to take up more space and show more leadership. And yet, it's a difficult process where I faced a lot of rejection. There's something comforting about the idea that while I'm giving people pleasure here, I'm not special. I don't have to craft the perfect experience because there is no perfect experience for 20 different guys all over the world. I'm not responsible for coming up with my own ideas just complying with theirs. I'm just an anonymous slut on the internet, and there will be another one along soon. At this point, another woman enters the chat. I've been told that it's mostly one slut at a time, but that more women get added periodically. It's fine with me because I'm ready to tap out at this point, but I find her approach really weird. She says she can't do live photos or videos, and just spams the chat with photos from past play in quick succession, without waiting for the men to tell her what they want to see from her. I'm curious what's in it for her. If she can't do live photos, is that because she's in a place where she can't give her full focus to this experience? Why would she want to do something this intense in such a half-assed way? I wonder if she is, in fact, not the petite blonde woman in the photos at all. Sharing stolen nudes seems to be a very common kink, though I had to provide a verification photo before I started. Interestingly, none of the men interact with her at all. I say, I need to go, but it looks like you have a new toy to play with. They clamor to see me come before I go. I am happy to try. I've never captured my orgasm on video, but I'm finally turned on enough for it to happen. For the last few minutes, I've been deliberately holding it back, but the feeling of imminent climax is getting stronger and harder to ignore. I know I won't be able to come back from the edge this time. 
The video button in the chat room I'm using thwarts me, though. There's one button that you press for photo or hold for video, and there's only a very subtle haptic notification that video is working that I'm way too wound up to feel. I am dutifully holding down the button and not recording anything, but my orgasm rips through me nonetheless, leaving me panting and shaking. Dean removes me from the chat. Thank you so much for tuning in. A quick reminder that if you're in Toronto this weekend, come on down to... Go get a job. Come get get a a job. job. Get paid for pleasure with the Orgasm Advisory Board. Love, honey. I'm going to be joining them on the street near the Sky Dome. There's a game this weekend. It's not even called the Sky Dome. I was just going to say, you have to remind people that the Sky Dome is going to be there from 1992. uh... Okay, folks. It's called the Rogers Center. But anyone who's in Toronto knows that it's the Sky Dome for life. And if you're not coming down, but you still want to have some fun, Love Honey, of course, always supports us. So if you are shopping at lovehoney.com, lovehoney.ca, or any of the Love Honey sites, use code Dr. Jess. 15 to save 15% and also let them know that you heard about it here. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.